You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, good morning, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for listening again. It is Friday. July the 30th and Goodwood continues apace, though today it might well have to do so in the face of some wild and wet and windy weather that is forecast to sweep across the country. We keep our fingers firmly crossed because despite everything, they've more than got away with it so far and that has allowed this normally spectacular stage to play host to some wonderful theatre. None more so than yesterday when Lady Bothorpe was the queen of the Sussex Downs as I welcome in joining me from Goodwood on the line now, uh, Lee Mottershead. Lee, very, very special for so many reasons. It was, Nick, and we thought we might get wild and wet in the winners' enclosure. I think people thought that William Jarvis might well break down completely uh, in his moment of victory. He actually held it all together, um, but he would have been entitled to cry his eyes out because that was a, a massive win for him, a massive win for everybody involved, the horse and the humans. The horse, Lady Bothorpe, deserved a great one victory, having been so unlucky in the farm mistakes, Chase Home Palace, Pier at Newbury, in the Lockinge. William Jarvis had gone 27 years without a Group 1, had had a lot of lows as well as highs, and he's handled those lows with enormous dignity and an enormously popular man as well. Kieran Schumark had battled his own demons and had been very honest and open about that, no doubt helping many other people in similar situations. Adam LeBlanc is just a really good person who is good for racing. Um, so I think all told, it was a fantastic result. The Tuesday and Wednesday had really positive, feel-good winners in Trushan, Holly Dolan, and Alan King, and then um, alcohol-free winning for Jeff Smith. This continued that trend, and I'd say topped the lot. Well, in all honesty, there was only one person I could really have on as my first guest for today's podcast, so congratulations, Emma Banks. Are you anywhere near Earth yet? Oh my God, just about, just about, but I'm, I'm sort of fluttering around in the stratosphere, and I will probably be there for quite some time. So today, I was watching on from my, my hotel room, watching ITV's coverage, and there was a shot of you right after the race, and you looked, I thought, remarkably composed. Joy, joyous, but composed. Yeah. Do, do you know what? Today felt like vindication. I think the lockinge was the day when she came second where it was just sheer thrill and overwhelmed excitement and joy that she showed how brilliant she was. And then we've had two runs that have been frustrating, to say the least, where I think she's, you know, whatever, things have happened that haven't gone her way and she hasn't won. And so while I was really, really nervous and you start listening to all the pundits and there's this person and that person and there's all, oh, she, does she do this and can she do that? So when she won, it was amazing but it was just like, phew, thank heavens that went well. And Kieran gave her a great ride and she showed what an absolutely top-notch, brilliant horse she is. 
but trust me, I'm very, very happy. Yeah. And you've got back home and you, you're able to sit and watch. And she definitely wins again when you put the, the tape on a bit later. How important is it for you that Kieran kept the ride? It was really important. I mean, of course, and, and there's been quite a lot spoken about it. And it's it, I feel terrible for Kieran that people have talked about these things. But it's it's totally understandable, particularly in a race where there was such a small field and there are lots of jockeys that are higher up on the jockey, you know, leaderboard than him. And Oshin's obviously ridden her before and ridden her brilliantly and got on with her. But I suppose people were naturally going to talk about it and think about it. But ultimately, as I've said before, he's been part of the journey and... You know, I think he had terrible luck in the Falmouth and he needed to be given the chance with her to prove that they could both do it. And he rode a, a fantastic race on her. So, you know, I do, I believe in karma and who knows what would have happened had we made a different decision. But when the decision, you know, became totally crystallised for me, that clearly that was, regardless of who was available, we should stick with Kieran. I felt really good about it. And, you know, obviously it worked out. It was a great decision. And I'm really, I'm really proud and privileged to be the owner of the horse that's given him his first Group 1 race. This has been a, a short but incredibly eventful journey for you as well, Emma. Could you trace the moment when... It actually all started, the, the very moment where you thought, yeah, okay, I will, I will go and take the plunge and get a racehorse. Uh, the, yeah, the moment where the lunacy set in. Bizarrely, and I only realised it today, was at Goodwood. So it was 2014, I had to look up on my Racing Post app to figure it out, because I can't remember how long I've done anything. Uh, July 2014, 31st of July, I went to Goodwood, invited... Um, by the Duke to a, a, a sort of um, a business lunch event that they had and then went to the races and my aunt, Rosalind, wife of my uncle Michael, who's now unfortunately passed away, she had a horse in the apprentice race, last race of the day. I went to watch the race, went in the parade ring. That was the first time I went, met William Jarvis, who was the trainer. And I really enjoyed it. My father had been pushing me to get a horse. He'd said I was a bit one-dimensional. When I think about it, exceedingly rude. Um, and I'd said, no, 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 not my thing, not my thing. I'd always been into horses, but I'd never thought about having a racehorse. And after that day at Goodwood, I had such a lovely time. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a horse. So my first horse was bought at the horses in training sale at Tattersall's you know, a couple of months later. So the, there's rather a beautiful pattern to the fact that almost seven years to the day, I get a Group 1 winner. And I realise how incredibly lucky I am to have a Group 1 winning horse so quickly in my horse-owning career. I'm, I'm still just um, reeling from the irony of your dad. Or, or uh, who was a, a racing guy telling someone who works in the music industry that they're they're one dimensional when <laughs> horse racing houses some of the most one dimensional people you could ever meet. Yeah, possible, we, but we can all just be one dimensional in our own little world. This is I'm true. Probably two dimensional. I've got horses and and music. 
Um, William Jarvis is someone you've been involved with right from the the word go. Feel or what made you feel this was the right place for you? Because quite he's talked quite a lot this week about his own confidence in him himself, his ability, uh, and whether other people have had that over the last twenty five years or not. I mean, really, honestly, he was the only trainer I knew because my uncle introduced us at the start. I'd heard of other trainers, but. Yeah, Uncle Michael, who was a steward and a member of the jockey club and trained his, some of his own horses, he also had horses with William. And when I said I'd like to get a racehorse, it was just, it was the natural thing to do. I'd met William and his partner, Linda. I liked them. And Uncle Michael said, you can trust him. And in, in life, I think if you can trust somebody, if you know they're going to be honest and straightforward give you good advice and work really hard and try their best for you then that's really all you that's all you can ask for in things and I was never going to go in and buy some you know million guinea wonderkind I bought a 20,000 guinea uh you know two-year-old out of Mick Shannon's yard so he's been he's been fantastic I've learned so much from William and he's been so straightforward and he takes the rough with the smooth. It's a small yard. I know everybody there. They put up with me buying boxes and boxes of polos from the cash and carry and hanging out and asking them questions and getting in the way. And I'm sure, I don't know. I don't know what it's like at many other yards. I mean, I've now got horses with three other trainers, all of whom I think are fantastic. Um, and it's, it's really interesting working with different people and I think figuring out who does what and you know sometimes there might be trainers that are going to be better for different types of horses and I'm learning that but from the get-go William's been a fantastic person to be involved with and all of his team have been lovely and kind and they care about the horses and we have a laugh. You can just bask in today for for as long as you as long as you dare but obviously the question is Okay, where's she going to go next? How's the rest of the season going to go? Is it? it had you talked about it much beyond today? We talked. We talked about it. I mean, obviously, you know, much has been said, but she, this was her first time at a mile and a quarter. Uh, she, the Dahlia was obviously nine furlongs, and she did well in that. But I think the difference between the way she won the Dahlia and the way she's just won the Nassau shows how incredibly far she's come on, but also how she clearly finds a mile and a quarter easy. And I was sitting between James Toller and Luca Kimani watching the race and walking back to the parade ring with them both. You know, Luca's like, she could probably go a mile and a half. And maybe she could. So if she's got an entry in the matron, we've talked about the, uh, the Jean Romney for her. Um, you know, there are now some big mile and a half races as well that, eight and mile and a quarter races that are on the card so from today and god only knows and this could all change i think the jean romanet is probably where we'll go in august and william will no doubt tell me how many gazillions of pounds i have to pay in entry fees in the next couple of weeks to get into the races in october uh we know she likes ascot so that's an option in in october there's France in October. I don't know. It's exciting. It's exciting to see how well she did today um, and to see all of the opportunities that that opens up because clearly 
at the moment she's firing on all cylinders. She beat some really, really good horses today. Um, so I'm excited to what happens next. I just have to make sure I'm available because I'm not missing any of those races. Um, could you make yourself available for anything or everything? Yeah, of course I can. Why not? Who's going to stop me? This might not happen again. This, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? With these horses, got to make the most of them while you have them. Um, and that doesn't mean run them into the ground at all. You know, we will listen to her, but she's coming out of every race better and better right now. And I look at her at the race course and she loves it. You can see she loves it. She just, she grows an inch. She's got a swagger to her when she comes back. I think she knows the number one. I don't think she likes the number two or three. She wants to stand next to that number one. So, so as long as she's enjoying it, I will make sure that I can go and cheer her on. Emma, thanks so much. Well done. Thank you, Nick. Well, I think Emma Banks was worthy of the full 10 minutes. A wonderful day for her and for Lady Bothorpe, and her enthusiasm for the sport is, is infectious. Lee, as for Lady Bothorpe, this just opens up so many more options for her at, at all levels, really. She's just getting better and better all the time, Nick. And I think when she ran her second to Palace Pier in the Lockinch, I think inevitably we thought maybe that was a, a bit of a fluke performance, that it was way better than she'd showed before. But she's now followed up um, consistently all the starts in Senate Royal Ascot at Newmarket and now here and the thing about today's one as you say it throws open so many more options it means that the Pre de l'Opera could be an option it means the EP Taylor Specs in Canada could be an option I know they're not that keen on the idea of Delmar because of the short home straight there but that could be an option and over a mile the QE2 races are like the Matron Stakes the Jump International was even mentioned by some people as a race that she'd be worthy in it. And she would be worthy in anything now. She is a proper racehorse. You know, she's beat some very good horses there today. Um, two classic winners in behind her. Yes, Odaria hasn't run a race, but that, I think, was a, a PB effort from, from Lady Bothorpe. And she's an excellent mare who has been trained extremely well by William Jarvis, again proving that there are lots of trainers who, if they get the ammunition, they can do the job. Jarvis has the ammunition with this mare, and he's really done the job. So many decisions to make, but so many high-class problems for William Jarvis, Emma Banks, and Kieran Schumark. And that uh, loyalty to Kieran Schumark clearly was very important to Emma, as we heard there in the interview. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... What is so reassuring is I don't think they at any point seriously considered um, not using Kieran Schumark at Goodwood today, uh, yesterday, Nick. I think that they um, they have such faith in him. Um, I think that although there were guys like Ashley Murphy who, who was sat away when his name was referenced more than once, I, I, I don't think at any point did they entertain Kieran Schumark not riding Lady Bothorpe. And again, as we just said with, with William Jarvis, another example that if, if someone who maybe doesn't operate at the top tier all the time gets the, the, the right horse they are more than capable of of producing the goods and the fact that Kieran was cheered in by so many people including pretty much every member of the weighing room um, there at Goodwood shows um, the the popularity of that victory and of that person he's, he's a fantastic young man as I say who has faced his own demons and has spoken about how hard it was and how how he's managed and I think 
you know someone like that helps so many other people when they talk so he really deserved that and i hope it's not his last group one and i'm absolutely certain it won't be right i'm going to quick fire you through the other bits and pieces from goodwood and elsewhere from yesterday and today alan king uh, two runners two group winners it's a bit like last year's royal alaska three runners three winners yeah, it really is. I mean, he he's now a proper dual-purpose trainer. You know, I've got that. Sorry, I've got the interview in the paper Nick, with with David Ellsworth on Monday. It was the great dual-purpose trainer. Alan King is very much going down that route now. Excellent with both and star staring true shan asymmetric smashing sprinting two year old who will progress from this and looks a real force. Uh, today, we've got Baid taking his chance in the uh, thoroughbred stakes over a mile. Uh, he could yet end up being one of Europe's best milers by the end of the season, if all goes well. Well, interestingly, Nick, he already is on our figures and official ratings. He's run to group one level performance when he won that listed race at the July Festival. We already know he's that good based on, on those figures. William Haggis, straight after that race, was very keen to take a cautious, steady route with him. I think the initial impression was he wouldn't even go to Goodwood. He still might not if the weather comes in. And there is talk of a lot of rain and potentially strong winds for Goodwood on Friday. But if he runs, he in some ways is the um, the non-Batash headline act on Friday. And fascinating to see how he performs. And quick word on Batash. Yes or no for his fifth King George, the sprint race over five furlongs? A yes, but it's by far his stiffest King George stakes task to date. He's trying to win a fifth group. What well, this race for the fifth time? That would make him the equal of further flight to his to Charlie Hills, his dad Barry, trying the Jockey Club Cup, uh, trying to win the Jockey Club Cup on five occasions. So there'd be neat symmetry there. There would. Racing League started last night at Newcastle. We've spoken about it quite a bit. Uh, did you catch it? Did you like it? I watched quite a bit of the, the Sky Sports coverage, which I thought was very good. Um, I'll be completely honest, Nick. I, I, I hope it's a, a great success. I think they need to change things um, for next year, um, if it continues next year. But it's not aimed at me. A bit like GB News and Piers Morgan, it's not aimed at me. It's aimed at people who probably aren't massive racing fans. They're trying to convert new people. The idea of spending a night on a race course with a DJ pumping out tunes wouldn't be for me i didn't really get engaged with the the team competition but if it works and it brings a new audience to racing then fantastic so let's turn our attention to the united states to saratoga to the jim dandy stakes and the reappearance saturday of essential quality the belmont stakes winner and currently the highest rated u.s horse in the thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings and i've been speaking to his trainer brad cox and i began by asking him how he'd come out of the belmont stakes and what his training regime had been since well, we give him about three weeks after the Belmont. We're shipping back to Churchill following the Belmont. We give him about three weeks and put a nice, easy work into it to him and followed it up with, with a good five-eighths, and then he was on his way to Saratoga after that. So he's had three works here at Saratoga. Um, first one, an easy one, and his last two have been good moves, uh, five-eighths and um, a minute change and 101. And, uh, you know, the, he's really uh, settled in well at Saratoga. I think he has really, really taken to the weather here, a uh, breath of fresh air. Um, and I really lo- like the way he's doing. 
mentally, physically, and uh, you know, I'm ho- ho- hopefully he-, he can run one of his big races on Saturday that'll set him up, propelling forward to the Traverse. You mentioned the weather. That's interesting because because Saratoga can be desperately humid. Not not so this time. I mean, you know, it has its days, but you know, we're norm- normally back home in Kentucky where we would normally be this time of year uh, at Churchill with the turf renovation. We had to evacuate um it's definitely better than kentucky this time of year we we do get breaks um and you're right it, it can be humid but uh right now it, it's it's been uh very pleasant here over the last few weeks yeah there's quite a lot of me that wishes i was there how do you see the race all things being equal he he should win but we know that the spa has a, a habit of, of chucking up weird results yeah, you know, um, I think there's a, a couple horses, you know, two, three horses could be in front of them going into the first turn. Um, you know, obviously, once the gate comes up and everything's up to Louie in regards to where he places him, and, and you know, he's rode him six out of his seven starts and has had a tremendous amount of success on him. So, you know, I think Louie's going to work out a good trip. I like the post five of six. I think some, you know, uh, a good spot he can, um, you know, track a few tuck in, save some ground going to the first turn and tip out going to the first turn I'm sorry, the second turn and then make his move, but uh, Horse is doing well and uh, you know, I think he's set up for a big effort uh, And when he came back from, from the Belmont, I mean, was he was he quite sprightly for a horse who'd had a hard race or did you know that he'd had a hard race? You know, I, I think, um, you know, it's kind of similar to the Derby, I think, you know it maybe took a little bit out of him, but after you know, after a couple of days of not leaving the shed row, just kind of walking around the shed row and giving him some easy days, you know, he definitely lets you know he's ready to go back to work and do something. He's a high-energy horse uh, that likes to train, and once we resume training, you know, he, he really came around in good order and, and uh, you know, really started to start picking it up. You can kind of watch him, and they, they'll tell you, you know, uh, if they're ready to do more, and he was. And his second work post-Belmont was really, really good, and that was the one – we, we, we left Churchill after that one and brought him up here to Saratoga, and he seemed to really move forward mentally and physically. And then you'd have uh, four weeks to the Travers, which I know is an absolutely key target for you. Then a, a biggish gap to the Breeders' Cup Classic. Would you run him in between times if all went well? You know, I don't know. I, I, I think, you know, our goal this summer is the Travers. We'll get through that, and, you know, we'll just kind of see how long we have between the Travers and the Breeders' Cup and what presents itself and, you know, first and foremost, just kind of watch him and see where we are. And how's Mandaloon doing? Very well. Very, very well. Um, he came out of the half, so I thought, you know, it took something out of him a little, you know, in regards to his weight, I thought, you know, shipping up to Saratoga, but it's been about, uh, where are we, coming in on two weeks post Haskell, and he's really, really taking shape. Very happy with how he looks. Uh, probably going to bring him next Saturday um, and give him another, you know, seven, eight days of training and then breathe him and, uh, you know, see where we are with him. We'll make a hope that maybe have a decision next week on where we're going, what we're planning, and go from there. Brad Cox, whose essential quality runs in the Jim Dandy Stakes at Saratoga on Saturday evening. It is Friday, so it's time for the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Global Ranking. So much happening at the moment, right in the meat of the season. It's really dynamic. I'll take you just outside the top 10, because down six at 12 is love after her Prince of Wales estates form is taking repeated beatings. 11 is Scaletti, cleverly campaigned by Jerome Renier to win nine group races, up seven for success in Germany. 10 steady is Snowfall, the Irish Oaks and Oaks winner. Nine, Hurricane Lane down one. Lone Eagle and Wordsworth doing him no favours. Eight is Chronogenesis confirmed for the Arc de Triomphe. The Mount of 
Asheen Murphy for Japanese Connections. Seven down two is essential quality, as you've heard from trainer Brad Cox, set to run in the gym dandy this weekend. Up three for his excellent King George second is Mishriff, restoring honour to his position on this list. Down one at five is Gran Allegria. Four up 66. The biggest mover since we've been featuring this on the Nick Luck Daily podcast is the Derby and King George hero Adar at three steady St. Mark's Basilica who thumped Mishriff and co in the eclipse at two is golden 60 and steady at one and done a real favor today by Lady Bothorpe Palace Pier who thumped her of course in the lock-in stakes earlier in the season and who was holding on to that number one spot rather tenuously until Lady Bothorpe's victory today. James Willoughby is with me of course. James first of all Adar up 66 how did he pull that off well he has to be ranked there because there's nothing to keep him as high as that this is a horse that's running four group races and really the computer cannot equate the first two to the second two so in effect to rank this horse effectively the first two races are effectively discounted and adar is placed in a spot which makes the most sense which is likely to lead to the least ranking violations in future. He has to be above Mishrif and Love. And Love, who you've already told uh, your listeners, has gone down six places to 12, with Mishrif at six. Adiar is one of the biggest movers in the history of TRC rankings, a project which started in 2014. I cannot find a horse that's gained more than 428 ranking points whilst rising into the top five. This horse is phenomenally improved. And the improvement could yet come further. The target for him is the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe with the Prix Niel as his next uh, stop en route to that. St. Mark's Basilica is at three. He hasn't moved up any further, despite Mishriff coming out and running well in the King George. Now, why is that? I'm surprised at that. Again, I, I think it's probably because um, Adayar in that race is a, is obviously a horse who is now anchored outside of the top 14. I'm not sure in truth. It's, it's, it's a mathematical computational thing. There's no real reason to raise him above golden 60, is there? I think if he were to win the international stakes, that would be his fifth group one race. I think then he would probably be ranked number one in the world, depending on, on who he beat. But the, the heartening thing from me as the engineer of this whole thing is, as I say, we've been running this for seven years. There's never been more interest amongst readers of thoroughbredracing.com and other people as well in like how these horses are ranked. And I think now people are really beginning to understand the principle, which is to find that classification of horses, which when you apply it to past results, makes the most sense if you can rank horses above what they've recently beaten. And you can see from this top 10, it all fits in like a, a really nice jigsaw puzzle. So Love is down six at 12, as I said. She's going to go down more, isn't she, after, after today? Yeah, that's right. It's very likely uh, the Nassau Stakes uh, saw Alderaya, who was second in the Prince of Wales' Stakes, defeated when she should have run a lot better. So Love will take more collateral damage. We saw that this week. Wonderful tonight, who of course, didn't run in the King George, took a battering because her form, her Hardwick Stakes form, uh, well... It turned out to be represented poorly by Broom. And while not every defeat leads to this kind of collateral effect, this cascading effect in the rankings, some do. And it's particularly races like the Hardwick that the computer has trouble ranking that can be affected by 
horses coming out and get beaten. So wonderful tonight. She's down four places at 16 this week. So if Ordaria has dragged Love down and Broom has dragged Wonderful tonight down, Lady Bothorpe, today's very popular hero, we heard from Emma Banks earlier in the show, could yet keep Palace Pier on the top spot because of what he did to her in the lockage, which was by far his best performance uh, of the season. That's right. But Palace Pier did need that boost because if you look at his other Group 1 win, the Queen Anne, well, Lope E. Fernandez is effectively the key to that form in, in many ways. And he suffered a real thrashing in the Sussex Stakes. Admittedly, it was on soft ground, which he doesn't like. But that would have led to Palace Pier's status being diminished slightly. But it was very rapidly and readily restored when that wonderful mare of trainer William Jarvis has bolted up in today's Nassau Stakes. Very strong British and Irish representation in the top 10. Of course, as we head into the autumn, that might yet change because of so much good stuff on the international stage. However, Essential Quality is the only American-trained horse here in at number seven down two through no real fault of his own, apart from, apart from his absence. He's back in the gym dandy. Even a win there is not going to have much of an impact, is it? I doubt it. Uh, he's by far the best American, North, uh, North American-trained three-year-old at number seven um but it's interesting hot rod charlie who's represented his form so well since the belmont stakes is at 25 and there are several others bubbling under but nick i've been through the rankings since 2011 although we started publishing uh, and calculating in 2014 in 2011 was the first sort of year of of the rankings i cannot find five three-year-olds in the world's top 10 as early as this in a season. I have to conclude that this is one of the most exciting flat race seasons, international uh, flat race seasons that there's ever been because these three-year-olds are all blossoming and developing. They haven't even really taken each other on yet, which usually leads to a horse posting an improved rating. It's competition that sees horses improve. They're all poised to throw down their mantle for world number one Well, at the top of the charts is that really classy older horse, Palace Pier, and then Golden 60, representing Hong Kong racing as well as he's done 11 group race wins for Golden 60 out of 11 tries. Let's not forget, global racing at the moment is absolutely electric. All right, thanks to James, thanks to Brad Cox, and of course to Emma Banks at the beginning of the programme, and Lee has got a tip for you. Two, actually, Nick. Um, the NB, as it were, will be Yukon Glen in the glorious stakes at Ford Ten, having a fantastic season. But my main tip comes to the Unibet Golden Mile at three o'clock. That big, big field handicap. David Amara has serious representation in this race, but I think his winner will be a horse called Ross Collin, who ran a cracking race if any second in a Pontefract listed race on Sunday. I think he'll go from that to win the Golden Mile, as was under Sheen Murphy. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks to all my guests as well. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends. But give us a rating and review us and be sure to catch us on all well-known podcast platforms. And don't forget that from 9 o'clock this evening and indeed every Friday evening, Charlotte Greenway will be here with the Saturday edition, which is taking you through all the best interviews leading up to Saturday's big races. I will see you after the weekend on Monday. Thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.